black boys, harder for black girls. Start your own business venture, thrive in a black world. We you and your homies don't gotta worry about getting fired and facing discrimination. We are creators, we don't go begging for placement where we are not wanted. And I'ma keep it a hundred, youngin'. We used to be hunted, they had us sitting in zoos. So what you see in the news is really nothing that's new. They really targeting you. You hear me talking to you? Recent Rose is brought to you by your hosts, Deja Staten and Christina Alford. Hello. This podcast was created as a way to address the many racial issues at this country, and specifically BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Living in this country have been carrying, confronting, living through, basically from the beginning of our history. Which we would like to mark our history is from before uh, the United States was was founded with you know the indigenous inhabitants who were here long before and were genocided by the predecessors to the U.S. government. So we will be covering history, current events, systemic issues that are affecting all of us today. Today. <laughs> so why rosé, Christina? Rosé, because well, for all of you who know us, we always have a glass or a bottle or ten. <laughs> okay, that's a lot. That's a lot, but not a lie. But not no. Um, close in hand, um, and honestly, it's you know we'll be covering a lot of heavy issues. These conversations are not easy at all, and it's just a little bit more digestible with a glass of rosé in hand. That it is. So welcome. Okay, so welcome back, everyone, to another episode, episode two of Race and Rosé. Welcome, welcome. Hope you enjoyed episode zero and one. 1.1 and 1.2. That's true. Yeah. Very true. So before we kick off, we are going to present to you our (laughs) Rosé of the day. (laughs) Is someone getting an award? (laughs) Okay. So Deidre's making me pronounce this one She today. picked the bottle, so she has to pronounce it. Oh, no, there's the other bottle so, we're drinking literally covering my face. Okay, so this is an Italian extra brute. Good job. We made it, we made it this far. Keep going. You can do it. It's called a Tori Germano. Sure. It's a Vino Spumante di Qualita Rosato. <laughs> Jesus. I think this is a valid uh, effort. Anyways, it's from Italy. <laughs> and, and it's a rosé. And it's a rosé. And, and the, it's sparkling. And it's sparkling, and the bottle the bottle is very beautiful. So this one, I did not get at Whole Foods. I got this one at this place called Wine Country, or The Wine Country, I think it's called, in Long Beach, that has a great selection of wines and rosés. Sponsor us. Sponsor us. <laughs> did you hear that? Oh. By the way, sponsor us. Sponsor us. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's that's the rosé of the day. All right. So what month is it, Deidre? It's Black History Month! <laughs> oh! <laughs> I just felt like I was announcing a boxing match. Like, the... Let's get ready to rumble! Yeah, that was exciting. Thank you. So yes. Yes, folks. It is Black History Month. So I think we're going to do two parts of this. Uh, part one today, we're going to shift a little bit to more of the media brand storytelling perspective, just some of the things that I've seen within the marketing space, PR space, um, and then Deidre later on will go into more of the histor- historical context of things. But we're going to like mix it up a little bit in both, right? Yes. Correct. Oh, I just wanted to say before we start today that, so we had episode zero and then episode one. Part, two parts of episode one um and we were like really late getting it out because we kept like losing <laughs> our recordings and a whole bunch of other drama but because of everything that's happening like Pristina and i were just watching the news while we were eating dinner before we started recording and uh it's very timely so if you haven't listened to episode one go back and listen to it because it's covering january 6th the insurrection and everything that's being discussed or was being discussed in the impeachment trial before those jackasses acquitted Donald Trump. So. They quitted and then kind of backpedaled. <laughs> yeah. What did Lindsey Graham say, though? He didn't backpedal. Lindsey Graham was like, Trump plus. It's time for Trump plus, I think, is what his, his 2022 Trump plus. And then Mitch McConnell, little turtle head, <laughs> he decided that he was going to say that Trump should be criminally charged. So anyways, I just wanted to say that since that's what's happening right now. Indeed. Yeah. Alrighty. So before we get into 
Black History Month and the storytelling um, kind of component, um, I do want to address a few issues that are happening within the Asian American community as of recent. Mm-hmm. I do think it's my responsibility as a Black and Asian woman, and not saying that it hasn't been happening, it's just being covered in mainstream media, finally. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, the racism has been happening forever, but forever. Like COVID-related racism is, you know, relatively new, but just a continuation of... Yes. So if you haven't been um, kind of watching the news, um, there has been an uptick of violence against the Asian American community, especially the elderly. Yeah. um, In a lot of our metropolitan cities. Uh, The Bay has been struck hard. New York City has been struck hard. You know, this has been kind of sparked by Trump, right? You know, all the xenophobia. um, The the China virus, as (laughs) he likes to call it. Yeah. The China virus, the Kung Fu virus, you know, it, it did make a mark in our, our society. Yeah. And it's clearly, clearly, you know, really allowing people to do some really deplorable things. Yeah, it's giving license, I think, to, to people. It, it's, it's kind of similar to what we, we saw with, I don't know, the alt-right insanity. There was always this underlying sentiment and people are now just being given permission. Right. So, um, just as a quick overview, um, as of very recently, so an 84-year-old Thai American man was killed in San Francisco. A 64-year-old Vietnamese American woman was assaulted in broad daylight in San Jose. Which, for those of you who don't know, San Jose is Northern California, like just south of San Francisco. Yes. In New York City, a 61-year-old Filipino American was slashed with a box cutter across the face. And then the same day, a 70-year-old Chinese woman was attacked in Oakland and robbed. So these things have been happening. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's important to point out that most of these crimes are considered hate crimes, like racially motivated, the animus behind the crime. This is, you know, the definition of a hate crime. The animus behind the crime is, you know, race or ethnicity um, specifically. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the elderly, you're really going to push over? A 74-year-old? Look. Like, come on, son. People are wild in these streets. So wild. So anyways, 20 assaults over the past two weeks in Oakland has happened in Chinatown alone, and many of them were not reported. Um, According to Stop AAPI, which for those of you who do not know what AAPI stands for, it's Asian American Pacific Islander, there is this tracker. And so far, it's recorded 2,800 incidents of anti-Asian discrimination across the U.S. from March 19th to December 31st. How does it, do you know anything about how it works, like, specifically? Like, how, who reports it? Um, I am not sure. Huh, okay. But the Asian American Advancing Justice, they have a self-reporting tool. Okay. So they've recorded over 3,000 hate incidents. Wow. Since April of 2020. And I mean, just to mark this, I don't know if you were going to mention this, Christina, but um, hate crimes are tracked pretty meticulously by the FBI. And historically in the United States, the the two largest groups who receive hate crimes or who are, who are on the receiving end of hate crimes are black and Jewish people um, and within the black community, trans women. But Asian Americans or Asians are the third um, biggest group. Uh, to be on the receiving end of hate crimes. So I did not know that. Yeah, that's, I mean, and that's kind of, you know, when people are talking about this and saying like, this isn't new, that's what they're saying. Cause like those numbers existed prior to COVID. Um, so I just think that's important to flag. For sure. Um, and then in New York city alone, it had an 867% increase in 2020 Mm-mm. in Asian hate crimes. Wow. Compared to 2019. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Wow. Shout out to New York, where I used to live. Which, I mean, is fascinating because, sorry to go down my, like, factoid, weird person rabbit hole, but so when Trump was elected in 2016, we saw a sharp increase in hate crimes for the first time in, I don't know how many years, maybe like 10 years, something like that. Um, And they continued to increase with the rhetoric and with everything that was happening. And then they started to decline um, Mm -hmm. towards the end of his presidency overall, right? So we're talking about all hate crimes against all groups of people. But this means that while all hate crimes were decreasing 
um, not starkly, but just some, Mm -hmm. um, Asian-related hate crimes were increasing, which tells you something, right? For sure. 100%. And this stat also ties into what you just said. So in August 2020, the UN reported that more than 1,800 racist incidents against Asian Americans was reported over an eight-week period from March to May 2020. Repeat that number. How many? 1,800. Jesus. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. So it's definitely a thing. Not a new thing, but it is now being reported and, you know, people are talking about it. It's very, very important. So in response... There are a few activists, celebrities, journalists, such as Daniel Day Kim and Daniel Wu, who are offering their own $25,000 reward to find these people, right? Wow, they're out here Sean Kinging it. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you kind of just have to. Okay. Like, who else is going to do this work? Clearly not the government. Right. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this government literally... And I mean, like, this, as in the entire government, gives zero Fs about crimes being carried out against minority groups. It's right. just like not not what they're they're here for. Yeah, so this might be the first time that you're actually hearing about this, but it's definitely not new. It's just now hitting mainstream media. Yeah. So we're not here saying that, you know, Asians are going through the same thing, that we're going through the same thing as black people, but you know, we are kind of everything's intertwined. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think what's interesting about what you just said, and I'm sure we'll get into this, um, both in this episode and the the next one, but, you know, yeah, sure. There are historical differences and historical underpinnings as to why different groups have been treated differently and like what the difference in treatment is. But this is all part of the same system and structure of systemic institutional racism. racism. Correct. It's all part of the same spinning wheel. Yeah. The same pie. All of it. Which is so important to flag and to, like, dig into because we're oftentimes presented this story that, like, these are different things. They're discrete incidents, you know, anti-Asian and anti-Jewish and anti-Black and anti-trans and anti-you name it. You know, hate crimes are are different types of things. They're not. Like, they're experienced differently because of the history of this country, but they are part of an intentional ongoing project. Right. Flag that, sit with it. It's real. Right. And again, just like George Floyd and, you know, Tahir Rice, people didn't, weren't aware of these happenings until people started videotaping. So it's not like it wasn't happening. Yeah. Yeah. It just started to be recorded, you know? Yeah. Which is fascinating because I've been thinking about this. Like, you know how there, we talked about this in the last episode, I think like the postcards of people like watching lynchings. It's like people have been aware of it, but it's almost like it fell dormant. Right. Because video you know, camera phones, whatever, like weren't a thing. And obviously like public lynchings in the public square, like weren't a thing anymore after a certain point in time. So yeah, it's kind of interesting what people chose to not think about, I guess, until video made it impossible for them to ignore it. Thank God. So, um, I'm just going to go into a little bit of the history behind some of this discrimination. That's pretty much like started in the 1800s. This is exciting. Ready for this data? I'm excited for someone else to be telling me history. So yeah, <laughs> yes. I'm thrilled about this. I'm very ready. Okay. 1854. The People versus Hall. So the Supreme Court... Co- <laughs> Have you heard about, about this one? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so should you know about this one, folks? Nothing new, of course. No, I'm excited. Go. Let's go. All right. Let's do so it. So the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that a testimony of a Chinese man who witnessed a murder by a black man was thrown out because Chinese were considered an inferior race. Mm-hmm. And during the same time period, black people were not allowed to bear witness against white people or in white courts either. Correct. So that's fun. 1896. You knew this. You know this one. What is Plessy, this one? Uh, Plessy versus Ferguson. Oh, yeah. I know this one quite well. Justice Harlan contrasted black and Chinese people saying that the Chinese race is so different from our own that we do not permit those people to become citizens of the United States. Do you want to hear something insane about what you just said? Go for it. So Justice Harlan in that case was dissenting. We're going to do a little background here very, very quickly on how Supreme Court opinions or just court opinions work, right? So like there is an opinion that's delivered that's on behalf of the majority, right? Whoever won out of the nine justices, right? Five, four, whatever. Plessy versus Ferguson was the case that instantiated separate but equal, right? Um, light-skinned black man who looked white got on a train, blah, 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 whatever. 
Justice Harlan in that dissent was essentially creating the concept of colorblind constitutionalism, like the idea that like we should not see color, but he didn't consider Asian people to like fall under the penumbra of of colorblind constitutionalism. So like while he was saying like it's fucked up that we're being racist against black people, he was like, but those Chinese though. Right. It's like they just like substituted one racial group for another. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insane. It's insane. It's insane. The fuck? And shall we keep going? Yes, I'm sorry. Okay. 1922, Ozawa versus the U.S. The U.S. Supreme Court found that Takao Ozawa, a Japanese-American born in Japan and lived in the U.S., and I believe it was for 20 years, was deemed ineligible for naturalization for Japanese are not considered free white people within the meaning of law. Mm -hmm. So under the 1906 Naturalization Act. Yeah. And this was really when the immigration and naturalization arm of the government started targeting Asian people specifically. Yeah. And this was not the first one. It happened yeah. to a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, 1927, Lum versus Rice. Oh, that's a good one. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled that a Mississippi school board had not violated the 14th Amendment when it classified a student of Chinese descent as colored and would not permit her into the school. Am I allowed to say something? Yes. <laughs> so this, this kid's dad... Um, wanted his daughter to go to the white school. And he argued in court, like, well, we're not black, so we must be white, right? Like, we must be. And the white school, I think, was significantly closer to their house. Um, the black school was much further. And the court was like, nah, son, if, if, you're, if you're not white, you're black. We don't care. Like, Chinese black. <laughs> Doesn't sound white to me. Seriously, though. Yeah. That's how the Supreme Court is doing, people. It's insane. And this is what we mean when we say that, like, the government actively involved in the definition of race. Yes. Supreme Court. Yes. Nutty. Nutty. All right. 1942. Two months after Pearl Harbor, Roosevelt issued a forced imprisonment of all Japanese-American citizens into internment camps. Uh Many of which were in California. That's that's what we do here. (laughs) Which is, like... (laughs) Like, like thinking about like the historical absurdity of the fact that we're fighting the Nazis to like not be killing people. This is during the Holocaust, mind you. And we're like, oh, you know what we should do in our own country while we're like fighting against internment camps? We should make some. Yes. And put our own citizens in them. Yep. And like I just it's it's also nuts because the axis of evil during World War II, right, was considered to be Germany, Italy, Japan, right? Like those were like the fascist or like whatever countries. I didn't see them putting German and Italian people in internment camps. Yeah. Did I miss something? Yep. Okay. Yep. Cool. Yep. Perfect. Great. So these are just a few examples, right? Um, Yeah. Which kind of, I believe, evolved into the whole model minority myth. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a big part of it. Um, You know... The model minority myth, I think, is this like kind of perfect marriage historically of this history that Pristina just walked us through and the historical things that Asian, East Asian communities did, like running family businesses, restaurants, laundromats, etc., um, that white people could look to and say, oh, hey, look, like they're doing fine. Why aren't you other brown people? Right? Yeah, it it kind of pens Asian Americans or just Asians against other like problem minorities. Yeah. Well, I mean, literally that's how they started talking about it when they talked about the model minority, like when that terminology came about for the first time, it was literally modeled minority and problem minority. Like that's literally the juxtaposition of terminology that they used to describe them. And it was very much, and this is part of why at the beginning we were talking about this intentional project. This was an intentional pitting of one race against another. It was very much used as a way to say, hey, black people, um, shut up about the racism you're complaining about because, look, like, they dealt, like, they were in internment camps and they're yeah. fine. Like, the they Asians are great. They worked hard. They're surviving. Yeah. So it's been used as a tactic to silence and separate Asians from, uh, like, other POCs. Um, but, I mean, we're all suffering from the same racist, white supremacist system. Yeah, and there's also significant racism within the Asian community itself. Like, oh, one hundred between. I mean, you're part. Yes. Well, you're part Japanese and part Filipina, but yes. like, you know, those two groups are oh, treated very differently within the Asian community. One hundred percent. There is definitely a hierarchy. One hundred percent. Yeah. Wait, can we talk about what the hierarchy is? As at least we've 
witnessed it? Like, what do, what do you perceive the intra-Asian hierarchy within the United States as? Like, what, how has it been talked about to you or presented to you? Uh, Japanese is probably at the top level mm-hmm. than Chinese. Mm-hmm. Then everything else yeah. below. And Filipinos are at the bottom. Yeah, so I would say, <laughs> from what I've experienced, that's accurate. Like, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, um, and then anything Southeast Asian and like Indians are an afterthought when it comes to talking about, you know, the Asian experience, even though it's literally one fifth of the world's population. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, that's all happening within this group that is just having this label slapped on them as the model minority. Right. And like, who are they talking about when they say model minority? They're talking about Japanese, Chinese, Chinese, Korean, and everyone else who's Asian. Forget about them. Like we don't, we don't really care. Right. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. And it was a tool uh, to kind of suppress the Black Power movement and other uh, justice movements as well. Yeah. And, you know, some of these, I mean, we probably all know them, but it's, you know, too great, too successful, great at math, works hard, super smart. And then conversely, it's, you know, Asians are pinpointed as being weak or submissive. Yeah. Well, especially Asian women, I think they're specific. Yes. I mean, there are stereotypes about both both Asian men and Asian women. But yeah, it's 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 this flip-flopping of different attributes that are useful to the narrative that majority white white supremacist culture is trying to to tell in this country. And we see that within all racial groups, right? Like mm-hmm. so this the, what Christina just highlighted, the kind of two sides of the model minority myth, you see that within the black community as well, right? Mm-hmm. There's like the dumb, lazy, like, you know, aggressive, but at the same time, the best suited to be like menial laborers and like field workers and the strongest, right? Like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. How can all of that be true at once? Right. Like how can you be submissive and weak and like ineffectual, but also like super industrious and like the smartest? The most successful. Like those things don't go together. No, no. So in the end, it puts us kind of in a box and it's harmful. So uh, examples are it limits us on professional success. Mm-hmm. Um, just a few stats here. 1.4% of Fortune 500 CEOs and about 1.9% of corporate officers are Asian in America. Which is compared to what's the <laughs> overall Asian population in the United States? Jeez, I don't know. So in addition just to, you know, some of the limitations in the professional world, you know, it also – Contributes to hate crimes, like we just said, Asian women abuse in relationships, microaggressions, kung fu virus, and you know all of all of this is just a result of uh, this minority concept, model minority concept. Yeah, and I mean all of it's reinforced mm-hmm. by the model minority concept. When you think of the model minority, you also have to kind of, and you kind of touch about on this already, but who are we talking about? It's not just Japanese, Chinese, Koreans. It's South Asians, Southeast Asians, Pacific Islanders, Vietnamese, Samoans, Native Americans, Nepalese. There's just so many. So you can't just pigeonhole us into one category because we all come from different backgrounds and different socioeconomic circumstances. circumstances. And different histories. I mean, and different interlocking histories, right? Like, let's not forget the history of even the groups who are considered to be like the representatives of Asia, you know, the ones who are talked about in the model minority myth um, without ever identifying them, right? It's not like they say like, oh, like Japanese Americans. No, they just say Asian. But um, Japanese... crazy rich Asians. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not representative. No. (laughs) But like Japanese Americans, Korean Americans, Chinese Americans come from histories that were at you know at odds with one another historically too so it it erases it's it's an erasure of the differences within right the asian community right yeah. like they come from different backgrounds that are that are just so um historically intertwined but very different yeah my mom again she she was born in the philippines she was born in manila and i went to the philippines in about 2014 i believe and man um I had no idea what I was in for. What uh, do you mean? What happened? My my family, uh, they, and my mom didn't really, I don't think she gave me a heads up or my dad, but my mom grew up in the slums. She grew up in a shanty village. I haven't seen anything like that, actually. I've been to Brazil. I've been to Mexico City. Like, I've been to places, but just being in that situation where, wow, this is my family. These are my relatives, and this is where my mom came from. That 
definitely hit a little different. Yeah. Um, so my Lola, her mom, she migrated to the United States in Tacoma. She settled in Lakewood and, you know, Lakewood has the rich part of Lakewood and then you have the hood and my grandma's house. I grew up in my grandma's house. It was in, you know, one of the, geez, it was, it was a tough black and brown neighborhood. You know, her house was sprayed with bullets because her next door neighbor's kid was in a gang. Like it, it wasn't pretty. So she raised her five kids by herself. My, my little, I didn't even meet him. He was, he died. Uh, I don't even know what year, but your grandfather. Yeah. On my, on my mom's side, yeah. he died when, I don't know how old my mom was, but my grandma was out here just raising these Filipino kids by herself in the hood. And, you know, definitely not crazy rich Asians. Yeah. Definitely not. And again, erasure, like that, that model minority myth, the, the narratives that are pushed about mainstream Asian culture in the United States do not capture no. even nearly the entirety. The breath of yeah. like all of us. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah. Did you know that the this term was coined in 1966 what by term? like model minority? Yeah, yeah. At the around the same time that um actually microaggressions. Oh really? Coined, 1970. Yeah. Like we've had this terminology for 50-ish years, which yeah. is insane that we've had this, you know, working language to talk about these things for for so long. Um and we still like haven't figured it out how to talk about race right. properly, effectively. Right. And this term also, it just, it places stressful expectations on kids. Mm-hmm. It hides racism, uh, again, by just kind of grouping us all together on what the actual model minority is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I think, you know, we'll definitely do an episode on this, but it there's another component of this. The model minority myth um, really hides some of the other pernicious effects of race and racial stereotypes. So there's this thing called stereotype threat. Google it if you want to. But um, it's kind of, it's the idea that if a negative stereotype about a group exists and someone from that group is aware of the stereotype, um, let's say Asian girls are, you know, bad at math, which is not the, <laughs> which is not the stereotype, but let's say I that's... <laughs> Let's say, Stat, nope. let's say, let's say that's what it is. Right. And you're performing a high stakes activity. Like, I don't know, the SAT or like the LSAT or like the GMAT or something. Um, you know, and you're primed, you have to check a box that says girl or race at the the beginning or, you know, whatever. Um, you're, you're triggering the stereotype and you're, you're spending your mental energy, your precious mental energy trying to disprove the stereotype, which in effect proves the stereotype because you're not focusing on the test. So it depresses your test score. And, you know, this has been shown to exist across a wide variety of racial, ethnic, gender groups, et cetera, and a wide variety of activities. But things like that, um, you know, that's a real impact of the model minority myth, right? right? This idea that like all Asians are good at math or like all, you know, whatever. Right. Um, it has real life impacts on how people perform and, you know, there's, there's stakes involved in these things. And at the end of the day, it's just all part of the white supremacist pizza pie. Yeah. Just, yeah. you know? Yeah, just have a slice. Just take, have a slice. Take, take a bite. What, what racist flavor do you want today? Pepperoni? <laughs> Do we want Hawaiian pizza today? <laughs> what are we doing today? Kudos to the um, architects of this racist bullshit empire that we have all um, happened to find ourselves in because it's very hard to disaggregate and like pull apart and discuss the different pieces of this because they've been so neatly, specifically, intentionally intertwined with one another and then invisibilized, right? Like, you know, all of the different pieces of the racist infrastructure um, were put in place and then painted over. Um, and so it's really hard to pull them apart and to tie them back together meaningfully. Um, but all of these things are so, so, so very connected, um, which is what makes them so effective um, at For sure. separating and achieving the goal of racial hierarchy and white supremacy. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about solidarity. Solidarity. Jesus Christ. Solidarity. <laughs> third time's the charm let's talk about solidarity between black and asians all right (laughs) you've probably seen some of this on ig um it's being circulated oh yeah there's like a lot of good there's a lot of this narrative is kind of being circulated and pushed which i love 
I'm here for it. I'm here for it too. There was some hate at first because it's Black History Month and oh, I just almost spilled the, the champagne. champagne again. Um, it's Black History Month and people were talking shit at the beginning of this saying things like it's Black History Month. Why are we talking about Asian hate crimes? Which is a bullshit response. Right. We can talk about all the racism at once. Yes. It's enough racism to go around. There is tons of it going around. Yeah. So there, there actually has been a lot of different time periods or circumstances within our history that this was actually a thing. Like, you know, black people, Asian people, we're, we're kind of supporting each other throughout different time periods. Um, for example, um, Buffalo Soldiers in the Philippines. Yeah. Yeah. Here for it. Here for it. Bob Marley wrote <laughs> a song by that name. <laughs> it's a good song. Yes. Buffalo Soldier. Yeah. Dread, dread like Rasta. <laughs> so he sounds right. Yes. Yeah. Wait, what were Buffalo Soldiers, though? So um, Buffalo Soldiers were people, black people, that basically... Black Americans. Black Americans yeah. fighting in the war. Yeah. Um, opposed the intervention in the Philippines during the Philippine-American War. Yeah. And a lot of them defected. Yeah, they were like turncoats. They were straight up like... They were like, Nassim, this is... Which... <laughs> what what years were... Do you know when, what years the war was? Mm, I don't have that, no. So it was during a time period... I don't know the exact years, but it was a time period where, like, black people... <laughs> This is funny that I'm even saying this because it's still true. Black people were being treated like shit. <laughs> I just realized what I was about to say. Um were being treated more overtly like shit in the United States uh, than they are now, like segregation, Jim Crow, et cetera, et cetera. But I think there was this kind of moment of like racial awakening where black people were like, oh, wait. (laughs) Y'all are being treated like shit too. Yeah, and you're brown. (laughs) Why are we fighting this war for these white people who hate us? We're going to go home and have to eat at, you know, segregated restaurants and drink from different water fountains and not be able to like do the things we want to do, at least not on equal footing. So let's just screw that. And some of them actually joined the Philippine force as well. All right. Also, black Americans were highly against the Vietnam War. And why? Because all the black people were getting drafted to go to war. Like my dad. Like, right. like David Staten, who I think he was 19 when he got sent to, to Vietnam in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a disproportionate number of black people. Oh, hell yeah. Being shipped well, off. And not just shipped off, being put on the front lines. Yeah. So once they got there, who they put on the front lines, mm-hmm. who was actually going into battle, it right. was oftentimes the the people of color um and that you know historically has been done in every war the u.s has fought in from you know the revolutionary war up to the present day and other countries do the same thing as well random fun fact argentina no black people they killed them all in the war that they fought against brazil (laughs) literally so there's that yay yay and did you know that asian american is inspired by the black power movement no there you go wait like the term Mm-hmm. I did, what, what's the, can you unpack that? No, I can't. Well, <laughs> there you have it, folks. <laughs> okay. So the Asian American was coined by Berkeley students in 1966. Huh. Interesting. And it was inspired by the Black Power. Uh, yeah. Okay. Students, I, I did yeah. not know that. The students were ripping it off or inspired by the Black Power movement. You know, just out here giving the people the inspiration since forever. Yeah. I'm here for it. And just even in the L.A. protests, you know, there were so many Asians. Filipinos for BLM, you know, different groups supporting. I mean, I think that makes sense, too, if you think about the demographics of L.A. specifically. Like, you know, where a lot of Filipinos who are from L.A., like who've grown up in L.A. or born here, um, are from. It's like, you know, central L.A., um, which is there's a lot of black people there also. So I think there's kind of like a shared culture to some extent. For sure. So I just thought it was kind of important to touch upon this, given um, some of the stuff that's going on right now. Well. It's been going on, but now that it's hit mainstream media, I feel like now is the time to learn, educate yourself, be in the know of what's going on in your communities. Yeah, and there's tons of great stuff out there to read. Honestly, start with, I mean, if you're on Instagram, start with Instagram. Um, There has been a ton of free stuff. You know what we should post on our website that we have? Shout out to our 
some resources. Yeah. We should link to some stuff. Yeah. And just some support. Um, if you want to support, here's a few that we'll post later. Uh, stop APPI hate, which is the most common. Racism is a virus. AA Advancing Justice. Asian American Legal Defense Fund. I'm Ready Movement. And there are a few black nonprofits as well that are supporting the cause. The Black Bay Area is one of them. I would also look to Southern Poverty Law Center, which I always um, shout out because they have the hate map, which is interactive, and they add stuff to it every time hate crimes happen. So look at that, too. Sweet. What else we got? All right. We're going to dive into Black History Month stuff now. All right, everyone. Uh, We're going to get into some of Pristina's area of expertise now. The PR, media, storytelling, creating an authentic voice side of things uh, as it's tied to Black History Month. So what's up, P? Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, for those of you who may have tuned into the uh, panel discussion that I was part of last week, um, some of this will be a little bit repetitive, but still good just to kind of just keep in your back pocket. So that being said, what are we talking about when we're talking about the culture? What? We're talking about. I don't, I don't know what that means. Talking about what's the culture? You're talking about black people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the culture, black people. Like, Our influence on the masses. Are we talking about culture with a C or culture with a K? Oh man. Which one? Both. Oh, okay. Both. Cool. Intertwined. Cool, cool, cool. Many cool. times K. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So it's no question that black people. Black influencers, black consumers, who many times are or become the black influencers, are the trendsetters, right? We are the culture creators. Even when we don't mean to be. No. You know, just from creative ingenuity, cultural expression, straight up talent. We're dope. Straight up talent. (laughs) (laughs) You may be biased. (laughs) I mean, I'm just. I mean, you're not wrong. You're That's, not wrong. I mean, yeah. Deep pool. Deep pool. Tell yeah. <laughs> From the TikTok dances, what's hot, what song is hot. Fashion what, trends. What fit we're wearing. Forever. Like, and that's one of the things that's even when it's not meant to be fashion, when like we make it fashion. Right? Like <laughs> someone's mom gives them five dollars and is like, okay, here, go buy all your outfits for the school year. <laughs> like yeah. somehow that then becomes fashion a couple of years later. It's yeah. kind of amazing. Truly. Like how you just rock it, right? I'm here for it. Here for all of it. Yeah. Uh speaking of fashion, can we talk about Michelle Obama for a second oh at the But like monochromatic, like her cape suit. Was it one woman? Not all heroes wear capes, except she does. She does. <laughs> she does. <laughs> that bitch was wearing a cape, and it was fly. Was just flawless. So here for it. So here for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So yes, the moments, the trends to black women changing votes in Georgia. Black Stacy. Mm-hmm. We're here for it. Who just got put up for a Nobel Peace Prize that she so deserves? Yep. She's my president. Yeah, so it really starts with us, right? Yeah. We transcend every aspect of our lives. Entertainment, sports, music, politics, everything. And a lot of times those things intertwine for Mm -hmm. for black people. Look at, you know, like old school, like Muhammad Ali doing the sports, politics, fashion trend stuff all at once, all together. And it trickles down to everybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a halo effect. Definitely. Ooh, halo effect. Yes. Oh, there's some of that some of that professional <laughs> lingo. Yikes. So yeah. let's throw some stats in here, shall we? I love stats. Okay. Give me data. According to Nielsen, black consumers represent more than fifty percent of our overall spending and key product categories. Damn, that's a lot. <laughs> Like, what? First off, do we all have shopping problems? Or is it just me? Am I 49% of the 50? Because out here buying wine, Whole Foods, and shit on Amazon that I didn't even know existed on Amazon. Let me live. (laughs) Jeff Bezos, you POS, you're welcome. Yeah. I mean. Yes. Um, Also, black consumers are responsible for 1.3 trillion purchases annually. 
I don't know anything past thousands. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. That's a lot of dough. Four figures. That's my max. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> my max. I don't get anything past thousands. I, don't. I mean, I do love sneakers and sweats. You do. You always have a different sweats. pair of neon sneakers on. Either. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So we represent 8.8% of the total buying power in the U.S. Huh. Whoop. That's interesting for a lot of reasons. That's a big number. Huge. But also, and here's a, sorry. Oh, no. Tangent. Don't oh no me. Tangent. We represent 13.4% of the population of the United States, but only 8.8% of the buying power, which is still a big chunk, right? That's almost 10%, so that's a market you have to account for. Mm Mm-hmm. This is one of those instances where, like, I don't know if there were economic buying power equivalent to population size, our economy would be doing better. Pay people a living wage, mm-hmm. give people equal access to childcare and education, mm-hmm. the economy grows. You dumb fucks. <laughs> Mind okay. blow, not so much, but. I'm done now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Back to drinking. Cheers, Jay. Cheers. Mm-hmm. We're still in the first bottle, which is kind of impressive. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool night. All right. So I love using this example just because I love this campaign, which was Google's Most Search, a celebration of Black history makers. And this was put out, I believe, in 2020 during Grammy Week. And it basically just highlighted how Black innovators and talent dominated their search engine for over 15 years. I mean, of course, Beyonce. Don't get me started. <laughs> Whatever. I love me some Beyonce. Mm-hmm. No? You know I don't like Beyonce. I know. I just want you to... Great voice. Underutilized. Late to the social justice party. I know. But that performance, though... And I didn't watch it. Wow! Anyway. <laughs> on to Maya. Jesus. Maya Angelo. That's... That's our girl. Yeah. Um, she's a G. Well, she was a G. I know. R.I.P. R.I.P. To the goat. To the goat. To the other goats. Jordan being the most searched dunk. That's kind of wild because, like, there are crazier dunks. But, but he's, he's just, like, just, he's Jordan, so it's he's like OG. a thing. He's you know. Yeah. The classic OG. Yeah. LeBron, of course, the most searched athlete. And MLK's I Have a Dream speech, the most searched speech on the platform. So we are killing it. We are killing the game. We are. As innovators, as contributors, as talented people. As the shapers of the culture that we all consume. That is right. Yeah. So So, with that being said, how do we reach these people? How do we reach us? How do we reach the black people? Girl, you asking me? This is what you do. (laughs) (laughs) She's over here looking at me. What? I'm sorry. I mean, I do have a marketing degree, but I've literally never used it. Right. I don't know what I'm doing in these business streets. No. So it's been really interesting just because, you know, it started with Black Lives Matter. um, And now that it's Black History Month, it's eased up a little bit with in regards to how people want to approach it or feeling less anxious about addressing Black History Month. During Black Lives Matter in March and having to help people through creating statements, storytelling, narratives, that that was very interesting. Girl, you caught in the COVID vortex. That was like July. Was that July? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. You're July. <laughs> Time means nothing anymore. <laughs> sure. Oh, March. Oh, yeah. That. Okay. Yeah. Well, like oh. stuff was happening. Like the Ahmad Arbery yeah, yeah, situation yeah. happened in. February, I think. I don't remember when Breonna Taylor happened because there was such a lag between when she was killed and when it hit the news. But George Floyd was like June, July, June. Gosh. I think like May is when it actually, the very end of May it happened and then it blew up very beginning of June. Okay. I think. I think. I can't even. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, just advising people on what to say, what not to say, you know, it's, it's, crazy how people just kind of clam up and just have no idea what to do yeah no idea or even any idea of like what's inappropriate yes to be honest like yes the things that people were complaining to me about 
like professionally and it's like i'm having real feelings right now as a black person so can we not talk about this inconsequential bullshit that you think is relevant to the black lives matter movement yeah yeah so there's two things here so whenever i would speak to clients it was one how are you authentically connected to black people Mm -hmm. i would always ask them that did they have good answers some of them okay some of them did but what was more interesting is that some maybe they work with or they have brand collaborators or talent or they work with black people but didn't actually employ black people yeah i can think of some yes it, i don't say their name no no so it's one yes evaluate how you actually connect to the culture whether it's your staff, whether it's your executive team, whether it's, uh, yes, like I said, the brand collaborators, the creatives, the artists that you work with. And not whether, all of these things. You should be doing all of these things. You should not have a company in 2021 in the United States of America with no fucking black people working at it. Right. And if you don't, in the rare, I'm not even going to say rare occasion, but in the occasion that you don't, what are the steps that you're taking to get there? Yeah. Yeah. And if you haven't thought about these things, you need to think about them now, basically. Absolutely. And if you don't, you will get called out on it. People are not playing with that. Consumers are not playing with that. People are looking into your company. So you better, I hope you've been doing the work at this point. And people are like really, I mean, companies are now putting in quotas with respect to like even the people they're willing to work with. A friend sent me this the other day. I think it was Coca-Cola. Um, they now have requirements on the people who they work with, like legally, et cetera. Like if you don't have X number of black people, like we, we ain't rolling with y'all. Right. So like, this is real, like people, I mean, hopefully this keeps up, but who knows, but like for the time being, people are like counting. Right. Exactly. Pull the show up. (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) Okay. 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 No. Also number two. Creating that, the actual narrative, right? So showing gratitude, respect, acknowledging Black people and their contributions to your company, to your campaigns. Put some respect on our names. Put some respect. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) But not only that, it's like, what type of work are you doing? Are you donating to any appropriate charity? Are you doing internal employee training sessions like Deidre does? Yeah, are you? <laughs> if not, get at me. I can help you out. She really can, folks. What are you doing to actually walk the walk? Also, number two is actually elevating Black people. What do you mean, elevating? Christina? Elevating and not leading with your own campaigns or your own initiatives. I've had, this has happened on so many occasions. Wait, can you break that down? Because you know exactly what you're talking about right now because you're a professional in this field. But like, what do you mean elevating and not leading with your own initiatives? Can you give an example of leading with your own initiatives and then an example of what you think people should be doing? For example, if there is a campaign that you are already executing or it's just part of your plan for the year and it really has nothing to do with your company in relation to black people and you're leading with that and then attaching black people to it at the very end as an afterthought, that ain't it. Also black people are going to know immediately. Right. Right. It's for example, say you are a company who wants to donate to mental health or this is your big, you know, charitable push for the, for the year. Mind you, you have nothing, your company has nothing to do with mental health in general, but you're targeting mental health with, let's say, Gen Zers or millennials. So then you're like, oh, well, you know what? Black mental health matters too. Thank you for that. <laughs> oh, so, so now you think it's, now you think it matters? Now you think it matters. And also this is like the most important contribution you think you can be making to the moment. When you have, when you have nothing to do with black mental health or even mental health if that has nothing to do with your actual company so like what you're saying is like there's like company a already had a mental health campaign that they were rolling out related to something and they were like oh shit george floyd just got murdered and everybody's all you know loud about black lives matter the movement etc guess what 
we're going to put black people in mental health together because we're already doing this mental health thing. We're already doing it. It's part of our campaign right. for 2019. That's what we're doing. No. BLM, the afterthought. The afterthought. The afterthought Never. campaign. <laughs> the afterthought. Please. Yeah. Please don't do that. So what's a good example of the opposite of that? Because I can think of one and you actually showed it to me. The Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre. Okay, fine. Yeah. So the, I gave me chills. Oh, this is my favorite campaign of 2020. Can you tell people how to Google it? Because like you should watch this. If there's nothing else you take from this uh, podcast ever... Google this campaign, this ad campaign. You can probably just Google Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre, Black. you love me, yeah. I believe. Yeah, that is what it was. Dr. Dre, you love me. Dr. Dre, so, you love me. So good. So this is another pointer. So we want to be inspired. We want brands to know that they that they understand us, what we're going through. You know, they we want to know that you're addressing issues that matter to us. So please go on YouTube and Google Beats yeah. by Dre. Is it You Love yeah, Me? Yeah, You Love Me. You Love Me. So good. It's two minutes. We're not asking you to watch like a 30-minute thing. It's so good. I promise it will be eye-opening, if, especially if you're not black. It will be eye-opening. If you are black, I think it will be validating. It poses questions about how we as a society – interact with culture with the black with the black community black culture in relation to actually understanding it and actually understanding black people yeah it very much to me after watching it i was like we consume black culture in the way that we've consumed black souls yes. as a country correct we chew it up we spit it out we don't think about don't think about it you don't think about the burdens you don't yeah. think about what black people go through every day you just enjoy which is, take. which is cultural appropriation, right? Like, that's the yes. heart of it. Like, taking the culture, taking the music, taking the fashion, taking the words of our poets, taking the words of our civil rights leaders, and elevating them one day a year on Martin Luther King Day, or elevating them, you know, on Maya Angelou's birthday, or whenever, and not thinking about any of the burdens that were the shackles no. that were pulling people down that made them say those things. Yes, that's a really good point. Also, do not... Do not create campaign, like one-off campaigns just to do it. Performative marketing efforts just on Black History Month, MLK, just putting out your your Black spokesperson for a very shallow marketing message, it doesn't work. Yeah. Do not do that. Yeah. Which, I mean... Part of what I do, like my, you know, consulting is, is marketing. I talk to people about how they're marketing their products. And that's the one, the, the first thing I say is you're going to do this now. You need to keep doing it. It needs to be consistent. Doing that and also doing the larger work, not just creating these great marketing assets, but actually elevating and supporting and investing into the culture. Like, great. These marketing assets are great, but what are you doing as a company? How do we convince people to do that? Buy black. But like higher black. Yeah. But like, how do we, I'm a white CEO and I just want to make money. How do you convince me that that is an important, worthwhile investment of my time and resources? And why should I attach my company's name to that? Well, one, you have to do the research. You have to do the research. And I mean, clients, they need this anyways now, brands, companies, and you should be providing some any type of data points to support this mm -hmm. kind of like what we already spoke about with, you know, our buy, our buying power. Like you have to tap this demographic because we are powerful and these are the ways that you reach us. And there if you go. don't do There's it, that pitch, huh? There's that pitch. <laughs> <laughs> and if you for? don't, you will miss, you will, it's a huge miss. You will not be yeah. able to, and it's hard. It's hard if you, if you miss that message, right? Cause Missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity. You're behind. And then after that, it's like, why? No, we don't. Yeah. We don't believe in you. You can't late adopt a movement. Like, no, it's like not a thing. It's not a this thing. This isn't like last season's like I don't like MacBook. Like you can't just like come no, to the like, movement. Like oh, late. just kidding. Let's try this again. Yeah. No. Like no. Yeah. Oh man, no. Nah. Nah. I no. love this. I love that. Like so, what would you tell? I guess kind of not in conclusion, but like 
pulling all of this together. Like if you were sitting face to face with the CEO of a company who brought you in or brought your firm in to specifically do this work, which is something that you now do because you had a great idea that your company finally decided to run with. Um, (laughs) What would you tell a company that's like, okay, we have a problem. Like we have a historical oversight. Like we have not been taking the culture into account we don't really get it. We don't really get what the culture is. Like, what would you tell them? Like, what would you... Well, the reason why that person or that company doesn't know what the culture is because, one, they probably don't have any black people in the room making decisions. And, And I'm not saying that all black people can understand or give great advice, but that you need to have certain number of people in the room advising you, like, firsthand to give you that guidance. That's called critical mass, my friends. Correct. Yeah. You need a critical mass of people from any specific group for them to actually have input, for them to actually have weight in a conversation, for you to actually be pushed in a certain direction. Yes. And I have worked for agencies. I've worked for companies that do work for the culture, and it's a bunch of white people in the room. Hmm. One, these people don't know what's going on. Because they're not black. (laughs) (laughs) like you can be as close to blackness as you want if you're not black it's really difficult for you to understand the lived experience of blackness yes and it's actually pretty scary that this happens all the time Mm -hmm. it happens all the time and now brands are looking into what the reps actually look like yeah but you have to you 100% have to do it and people are doing their research into Who's actually doing the work? Because it makes a huge difference. That makes that's common sense. Yes. Right. Well, it's common sense to us. <laughs> it's not necessarily common sense to the people in the room who we're talking about. Also, um, and I run into this a lot with brands, talent, whatever. Um, once they hit a certain point of success, they forget about the, their core audience and where they're they're getting their resources, their information, and kind of forgetting where they're coming from. So I think it's also very important to invest into Black media, Black platforms. Yes, do, you know, mainstream media do that because you need it, but also don't forget your roots. Don't forget where you you came from. Like these people are always going to follow you, support you through thick and thin. You've got to do stuff that resonates. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So get black people in the room, elevate, create compelling, inspiring content to make sure that you're actually doing the work and supporting black people, black businesses. Yeah. And in a non-performative way. And and, yeah, non-performative, actually find your authentic voice. And I mean, when Christina's saying get black people in the room, like she's not saying like tokenism, right? She's not saying like get like 13.4% of the, the people at your company should be black because that's the U.S. population. No, like get po- black people in the room that you're actually going to give some like power to, that you're actually going to listen to, who are actually yeah. going to inform your narrative. Yeah, and this happens all the time as well is, okay, fine, you hire black people, they're in the room, and then they give advice in their opinion. And because the other people in the room don't get it, don't understand it, or don't believe what you're saying, mm-hmm. Shit goes down. Yeah. Shit goes down and it gets really ugly. Yeah. It gets very ugly and you get called out. Yeah. Always listen to the black people in your room. Especially if we're talking about black culture. Black culture. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's it's truly amazing the opinions that people who aren't black have on what black culture is, how to market to black culture. What to say, what not to say. Yeah. I mean, okay, you can... Yes, give me a rebuttal, but that ain't it. Like, you don't see me out here, like, being an expert on white culture, do you? I mean, I just, yeah, it's wild. I don't know what white people like, but I know what black people like. <laughs> Look, these are facts, okay? These are facts. These are facts. So anyways, um... Happy Black History Month. (laughs) Part one. I think I got a little. She got fired up. Fired up. Christina gets fired up over like social media PR, like (laughs) framing the narrative. Like I get fired up over history. And facts. Facts facts. on facts. On facts. And laws. Yes. 
and racism. Yeah. Fired up in a bad way. I get angry. For the record. Not happy. Anyways. Yeah. So that's where we're going to leave you for this episode for part one of i mean i think are we gonna the next episode i think will be a separate episode but part one of black history month our black history month coverage um and you know next week we will tie it up uh with some more and i'm sure we'll have some hot news to drop too because our government keeps doing just ignorant shit every day every day every day so we look forward to uh, walking through that ignorant shit with you next next week. We're really excited for it. Uh, until then. Cheers. Drink up. Stay thirsty. Stay thirsty and stay not racist because racism is garbage. Bye-bye. Bye. Until next week, keep your glasses full and remember that racism is garbage. Trash. <laughs> Basura. None of this would be possible without the support of our talented team. Big ups to our producers, Lana Shea and Kate Bataille. Thank you so much. And shout out to Coda the Friend for allowing us to use his music. Woop woop. Woop. Bye-bye.